Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today we're discussing an extremely important topic, one that we feel every believer, especially in today's current climate, should have a firm foundation in and upon, and that is the topic of our identity in Christ. That's right. It's great to be with you again today, guys, and we can't wait to get into this topic because of how critical it is in our lives, and that would be, as Josh said, our identity in Christ. Um, Who we believe we are to God and in God will shape everything else around us, our confidence, our happiness, our effectiveness to spread the gospel to others, and most importantly, how we receive the gospel for ourselves. And one of the major problems I see in the church today is misunderstanding who we are in Christ. And here's why. Some have such a high view of themselves in Christ compared to others that they'll become gatekeepers like in Matthew 23:13, and the gospel message is trashed. And others will have such a low view of themselves in Christ that they become miserable, and again, the message of the gospel is hindered. And then there's those who believe that they're in Christ that might not be. So the common denominator in all of these cases is misunderstanding our identity in Christ. So I hope this episode is as uplifting and affirming to you all as it was for us as we studied for it. Yes, it's really all about clarification and identifying your identity. <laughs> yeah, for real. And it's so important because if, you, if you're if you off in it, it throws a lot of stuff off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I almost said that because it's like, well, this leads to some dark places if you don't know what you're talking about and it does it really yeah exactly because i mean you you a misstep and in terms of what you believe can really kind of shape your theology wrong and and shape your view of god wrong even if you misunderstand where you're at in him yeah and i you know i like your example that you've pointed out in the past with the ocean like you have this healthy reverence of it but it's also so beautiful and all it's just we're snake birds so we have to we have to understand both sides of it and that's what we're going to do yeah it comes back to our favorite word Balance. (laughs) Balance, that's right. That's what it's about. Yeah, and we wanted to mention that we recently received an email from a faithful snakebird with a request to address this particular topic, and we wanted to first and foremost thank that listener, and also let you know that you can, just like they did, send us an email or a message and request a topic also. So anyway, in this email, our listener asked us to address the topic of identity and um, more specifically equality in Christ. And so we're going to be talking about identity and then we're going to be getting um, into the nitty gritty of their question right towards the end of the episode. Yes. And we're doing that on purpose, listener. So you'll hang on because at the very end, we'll address the specific question. It sounds so cruel, but it makes sense in the context (laughs) of what we're doing. All right. Well... So I, the first place that I kind of went from here is um, that we all identify in one thing or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the most obvious things that I've noticed about people in general as I've gotten older is that um, every one of us desires to be identified in something. Uh, We have these instinctive urges to prove ourselves or to be recognized in a certain light. Some of these things are rooted in our raising. Our parents raised us and mold us to have a, a certain mindset and we just follow that path. And sometimes it's as simple as being really interested or passionate about something, and naturally we desire to be identified with that passion. But this nature of people, our identity, is strived for because we want to belong somewhere. 
Even people who consider themselves lone rangers and try not to identify with anyone else are actually doing the exact same thing everyone else is doing. They're finding satisfaction in being recognized by everyone as a lone ranger, feeding off that most interesting man in the world vibe, if you will. Mm -hmm. So my goal in pointing all of that out is simply to make us think about this predicament. We as humans are hopelessly seeking for a type of satisfaction in so many different things. And the truth is we'll never find that type of satisfaction in those identities. We will never hit that point where we say, you know what, I've ultimately found satisfaction. We might think we have found it for a while, but when the new wears off and the boredom kicks in, we'll be right back at square one where we head back out into the wilderness trying to find that water that makes us thirst no more. And this whole concept is really summed up best by Jesus in John 4:13 with the woman at the well, where he says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So, listener, if anything just described strikes a chord with you, then hang tight because we're going to address some very specific challenges within this topic and how we can get out of this never-ending cycle, which will lead to an identity that will satisfy us forever. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking um, along the lines of what you said, and I found that very interesting that um, identity really does encompass our memories, our experiences, our relationships and um, our values and it creates a sense of self Mm -hmm. but it goes deeper than that because our identity has to be more than just our friends or our hobbies our personality our memories Uh, I couldn't help but think of this picture of Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite as you were talking and how he was so fixated on his identity being the quarterback from from <laughs> high school, you know, and he just, if coach had only put me in, we would have won state, you know, but even the Bible talks about in the Psalms, a man like Uncle Rico who can't let go of the past, who wants to relive the glory days. And um, I feel like identity in Christ is twofold because Um, this is something that you can identify with and something that I can identify with is that I am a guitar player. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually evidence to substantiate that. But then I can also say that my identity is in Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, the neat thing is that he turns around and says that I identify blank or Josh or Stephen as a child of God. And in that identification are all the things that come with it, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it's so true. And that's that's actually exactly what I have next is the benefits of our identity. Okay. So the number one benefit I would say that I could think of, and this is, remember listeners, this is stuff God has put on our hearts. This This goes so deep. You know, we won't address everything, but I'd say number one for me is being saved. Being in Christ, knowing that I will be with him eternally, is a number one benefit of our identity in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And I would say that this is the most life-changing benefit of our identity in Christ, knowing that our previous state of hopelessness now has a bridge to God. That should fill every believer with the greatest joy you could ever know. And um, you become strong in this joy. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength, as we see in Nehemiah 8.10, even in the context of that verse. And um, because we've been brought near to God, we can now come to Him with confidence. Every believer as a predestined priest can have access to God Himself through the Spirit. And I would say, man, that's that's the most joyful benefit of our new identity in Christ is being saved. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, we're also forgiven, mm-hmm. uh, which is another verse that you had just mentioned in Ephesians 1. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And so, I mean, so you're talking about salvation, then you're talking about forgiveness, and I think it just keeps going on and on. That's so true. And I was just today, I was listening to a teaching talking about how it's hard for us as people to grasp the more we grow in Christ, that our past, future, and present sins are all covered in that. Mm. And understanding, it, it goes so deep. It's simple, but it's so deep. And it's, yeah, that that's a big one, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another huge benefit is the sense of belonging. Um, I had mentioned that we all desire to belong. And um, there's two ways that I thought of that a believer's new identity gives them a sense of belonging, gives us a sense of belonging. Number one is emotional slash spiritual. And two is literal. The emotional side of belonging to God is great. I would say that every believer has a point where they can look back on things in their life where it turned 180 degrees the other way. Our desires were different. We had new reasons for living. The Holy Spirit was moving within us in ways that we simply can't put into words. And then you find other true believers you can also um, share this new life with. They're closer than blood, closer than any other family you've ever known. And that's when the serving one another through spiritual gifts kicks in. And all of these things, are they're fantastic. And the joy we feel through these experiences of belonging are very emotional. And um, you remember them. I, I mean... I'm sure you have plenty of of examples, Josh, of those first those first fruits, that first love. Yeah, yeah, too many. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I put you on the spot there. No, no, like, I mean, um... <laughs> there have been. Yeah, it's hard to describe. It is. You can't put it into words. It is. Yeah, I was thinking. For me, I always go back to um, getting saved at summer camp, or kind of renewing that that hard at summer camp and literally not wanting to go to bed, you know, just kind of sitting out under the stars, having that heart to heart with God and that communion time of koinonia, of partnership, of fellowship with him. And I remember um, even maybe a better story was one of the old senior pastors at a church I used to work at. He had heard the gospel and he said he felt like he responded to it, but he didn't do the sinner's prayer and all that. And, and I I felt, you know, in the way that he was explaining his experience, that made perfect sense for what he was talking about. So he's working at his auto shop and he's got this giant screwdriver and he's sitting there and all of a sudden he said he just felt like the the presence of God fill that shop that he was working at. And he said he just sat down and he was just, he put the screwdriver to the side because he just started worshiping God and he just started feeling that presence overwhelming him and and that, um, like you said, that literal belonging now, knowing that you're in Christ. That is so hard to put those types of things in words because people hear it and they think, the first thing a a skeptic would think is um, the warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. And it's not. 
it it does sound like one of those you you know supernatural slain in the spirit you know yeah. sitting there rocking back and forth you know doing the shit about a Honda kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. you know but it's not necessarily that no. at all and and everybody needs to have their own experiences you know before you go oh well that's this is real this is fake this is you know exactly yeah god god is not a cut in a box and he man he interacts with us in such different ways and that's yeah like i i like the way you put that well in the day of pentecost god did fall on some people and they broke out into tongues that's true but and so we don't want to say that that's not a real situation but we also don't want to say that if you 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 shouldn't ever force that you know we've talked about that often yes so anyway yeah, yeah. So that's that's the uh, the emotional and spiritual side, the things that the groanings that can't be um, explained away to people that are in your soul to God, and those are those are great. But the um, the literal side of belonging to God, I believe, is where we are really tested. Hmm. Um, we saw in our episode about progressive sanctification that to be saved means to be sanctified by God, hmm. and we learned that the word sanctify is synonymous with the word holy, which speaks to belonging to God. A holy table is a table that belongs to God. A holy person is a person who belongs to God. And having our identity in Christ means that no matter what background we come from, we now belong literally to God. And it also means that we are now ambassadors. We've been given a new title. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 reads this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Verse 18 says that just like Jesus reconciled the world to himself at his first coming, the torch has been handed to those who believe to continue that ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world. This is a part of becoming one with God. We are ambassadors now, and we have a mission, every single one of us. And the older I get, I've noticed that the works that come out of me are truly not my own. God literally brings forth these deeds of righteousness through me. And my only part in the matter is how much I choose to be obedient to God's word. I found that when I surrender to God's spirit within me through obedience to his word, then his spirit within me is free to work faster and more effectively. And when that happens, I naturally have more joy. So as we get deeper in understanding our identity as a saved person, we see that we now literally belong to God. And that, that takes me to my next topic, which is being a slave to Christ, which sounds a little weird on <laughs> some ears. We'll get into it. But Josh, yeah. is there anything you'd like to add to any of that? Well, you were talking about um, the longer you are in Christ, kind of the, the less you feel like it's a work. And that's because identity comes before activity. Hmm. When you find that identity, you're... You know, a lot of times we go, well, I I have to earn my way to God. I have to earn my position in Christ. Well, the further uh, in and the deeper we understand 
being in Christ, the more we realize that the work is done, we're just a conduit. Mm-hmm. And it is a partnership, but he's done all the heavy lifting, you know? Yeah. He's the one that's, uh, all we are is just basically offering what he's already done. Yeah, absolutely. That's an ambassador. Ambassador is not establishing the country, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know the, Exactly. It's representing that, that who is. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. I, I was, I was going to build my exactly on your exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do we want to mention that we are sons of God before we move on as a benefit? Yeah. Cause so. uh, Galatians three twenty six says for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's a huge benefit of being in Christ. Our identity in Christ is as a son or a daughter of God. And then I always love this verse from 1 John uh, 3. Uh, It was a little song in children's ministry that we learned growing up. And I can still hear the old school record right now (laughs) ringing in my ears. I'm not going to sing it, though. But it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Mm. And so, uh, I mean, we find acceptance in God. We find love. Um, like you said, with Second Corinthians 5.17, everything's new. Our, our, our past doesn't define us anymore. Now our identity is wrapped up in who He is, and that's what we have to look forward to. So, Yeah, so true. There, and the, there's so many, so many examples of, I, I love how you pointed out sons of God, because we're also told we're friends of God. Yes. And um, fellow heirs with Christ, Romans eight seventeen tells us. There's so many descriptors and um, things, benefits that fall into this identity. That's, that's super important to point out. Mm-hmm. Um, which would lead us to another one being a slave <laughs> to Christ. Man. So one of the major hurdles I see that people have currently is this idea that Christianity is an outdated box of rules that make people feel better than others. If you're a Christian, you just heard me say that, you're probably cringing and rightly so. But time and time again, I will get into conversations with people And that's precisely what they think about religion. And that's why Josh and I did that entire episode a while back on the dangers of organized religion. But these are false presuppositions that people have. Um, People will see near every book in the New Testament start off with the phrase, bond servant of Christ, and how we are slaves to Christ. And likely because of the word slave itself, coupled with presuppositions of rules to be followed, people will instantly turn away from freedom, which is the exact opposite of what they think this is, what mm-hmm. this is talking about. Yeah. So at, at this point, I would like to point out that every human alive is a slave right now. Um, I'm prepared to back that up too. <laughs> but we are, we are either a slave to one or we are a slave to a thousand. If we're a slave to Christ, we are bound and identified with Him alone. But if we are not a slave to Christ, then we are a slave to a thousand masters. And keep in mind that to be a slave is to belong to. You either belong to a thousand masters, or you belong to the one who sets you free from those thousand. So remember in the context also, when this was written, that if you weren't born into royalty or close to it, you were a slave. 
Um, those who were lucky enough to win their freedom, if they belonged to a good master, they often chose to remain a slave to that master. And um, that really steers us into why uh, I believe many in our modern day are slaves to a thousand masters. Consider the American dream, which I'm extremely grateful for. Don't get me wrong. The opportunity we have in this country to pursue happiness through freedom is a wonderful while it lasts anyway. But even scripture shows us that this wonderful thing called freedom can actually poison those who don't handle it properly. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And I mean, wow, what a verse for America today. Mm. Um, but to the point, many in this country have been brought up to believe that this American dream means getting into one of those pretty boxes with a white picket fence and a three-car garage, which in many cases is nothing more than a whitewashed tomb. Please do not misunderstand me. It's not wrong if you have those things, but if you're a Christian and your identity rests in your social status, the way people see you, how fit you are, how popular you are, the car you drive, how many likes you get on social media, then you are a slave to all of those desires. Because remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6:21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's a reason that the Satanists use the age-old phrase, the whole of the law is do with thy wilt, because their treasure rests in the pursuit of pleasure above all. And if your treasure is in the things of this world, then you're a slave to a thousand masters. And, and I know some might be right now thinking, but Steve, we need these things. Is it so wrong? And what's wrong anyways with enjoying the fruits of your labor? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with being blessed with material things unless those things are your master, your identity. But be honest with yourself, Christian. Don't use that freedom as a crutch and find scriptural loopholes to support your false masters. Because the day is coming when we'll have to make a choice between those things and Christ himself. In Revelation 13:17, we're shown that we will lose the right to that pursuit of happiness. And I have to ask, are you ready for that? Because that's the cost to follow Jesus, and that day is coming. And if you're not ready for that, then you're going to be like the rich young man that came to Jesus in Luke 18, 18, and said, I've followed all these rules my whole life. But Jesus will look into your heart to see the motives and masters who you belong to, and the decision will be made. So I, I know that, that that took a dark turn, um, but... I don't want you to be scared if this tugs at you because um, we can rest in Christ by surrendering to him. And believe me, he can free you from these masters who will never satisfy you anyways. He will put new desires in you that will eternally satisfy no matter how dark things get. And for the one who is backslidden into old masters, old identities, letting those masters take back some ground from when Jesus freed you, um, let Christ take that ground back because he can do it. And, and that first step of submission, he will take it from there. And afterwards, you'll be soaking in the light of his favor and you'll wonder why you ever strayed in the first place. And so I, um, do you have anything to add to all that? I know that was a, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was a mouthful, but um, I, I felt I needed to address a lot of that. 
Well, when you first started off, I knew right off the gate that you were quoting amateur theologian Bob Dylan. <laughs> you gotta serve somebody. <laughs> nice. I was. I was sitting here. I was scrambling. What is he talking about? <laughs> um, but no, man, that was awesome. I couldn't help but think of um, uh, this morning we were reading it, and it's our memory verse for the day. Uh, it's Philippians three eight, where he says, Paul says, "Yet indeed, I also count all things loss." For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Mm. And um, for him to say, hey, I became a Pharisee. I was born on the eighth day. All of the things that he lists to say, these, these are my qualifications and I count those things as trash. Yeah. They could be burned in the fire for all I care that I might gain Christ. And I think there is that um, heart search and that, you know, you got to do that check of saying, do these things rule me? Because if that's the case, then it's time to, to change things up. That That is so interesting that you bring Philippians 3 up, because that's the exact scripture that was being taught earlier today that I was listening to. Oh, <laughs> And at the end, he talks about the righteousness that was found in the law. Uh, some of the translations say it differently, but I've always kind of scratched my head at that ending, because I'm like, wait, wait a minute, righteousness isn't found in the law. But what Paul was saying when you dissect it, you know, he was saying that what they thought in their minds was righteousness, mm -hmm. was through the keeping of those commands, their identity in keeping the commands for themselves, which made them righteous by works. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I mean, man, that's that's cool. It's kind of like a divine scripture you just pulled <laughs> yeah. out there for me because that's, awesome. that's we, what I was listening to. We were earlier. on parallel journeys just in two different places. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. Oh, that's wow. That's really cool. Um, the one other thing that I'll say about it is this is one of the most paradoxical statements that Jesus makes <laughs> because it's like, well, how can you say that you give me freedom and yet you call me a slave? Mm -hmm. And I, and that word, again, we've covered this already. That word just grates on people because it has such a negative connotation here in 2020. And we know what that means. And we don't want to call anyone necessarily a slave out of context. But what God was saying is that um, even in Romans, I was I, this is the direction I went with this when we talked about doing it, is that we were slaves to sin. We were literally chained to our sin, and it was going to drag us to hell. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing that we could do to, to free ourselves from it. N nothing. No acts of righteousness would ever uh, unlock or break those chains. That's the thousand masters. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, no. Well, that's what you did say. Yeah. Um, but it says, and and yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And now all of a sudden, we're actually chained with like these white chains, you know, I don't know how to say it, like robes of righteousness or ropes of righteousness, basically. I'm yeah. Just, uh, but it's really God saying, now I'm doing it and you're coming with me. And yes. it, it makes me think of even the, the conquering uh, king as he rode victoriously into a city where, you know, even the, the, um, the captives would be uh, roped up or chained up behind him saying, these are the ones that I won in this battle. 
and we're coming with him because we're we're slaves of righteousness and i know again that sounds like such a harsh (laughs) term but you mentioned bond servant a bond servant is somebody who would serve and um in jerusalem in the jewish rule indentured servitude had a time limit yeah. And of course, indentured means you were working off a debt. But what would happen is a slave would serve for so long. And, and even at times, he would actually have a family during that time. Mm-hmm. But his family was still belonging to that master. And a lot of times, they would look around at the climate of the economy and everything and go, I have it way better at my master's house yeah. than I could ever try uh, forging it on my own. They, you know, they take care of everything and, and, you know, they're not beating me. They're not mistreating me. Um, they almost treat me like a family member or a son. Most, in most cases they would. And so he'd say, I want to be that bond servant, which means I'm bound to you now. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul was identifying as. He says, I am bound to Christ as his servant until the end. Yeah. Um, my ride or die. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's it's I'm I'm glad that you elaborated on that too because I, I almost I think I failed a little bit at the beginning of my illustrations there because it, it is so so important that we understand the context for one of when this stuff was written. God and we're going to do an episode on this, as we always say, <laughs> for crying out loud, free will. God is not going to reach down and change the culture of the entire world against free will. Mm-hmm. He's going to reach down and he's going to illustrate just like Jesus did with his parables in things that they know of, things that they're familiar with. And he uses the the topic of slavery in all of this because they understand it so well in that culture. And it didn't mean things completely parallel to what we think they mean today. Yeah. And uh, that's the first thing I'd point out. The second thing I'll point out is like here in a minute, we're going to get into the fact that Paul speaks in riddles sometimes. Mm -hmm. And understanding the context is crucial because if we, like we said at the beginning of the episode, misunderstanding our identity in Christ, I mean, these little missteps that we build theology on can really jack us up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that, that's really important. Well, and I was thinking of the verse that I think will probably lead perfect into what we're going to talk about now as we address that question is Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. For you are all one in Christ. Jesus. And I think that we have to understand we cannot look out when we're standing on the ground at the cross and go, well, I'm better than that person because they have a lower uh, social status than I do, or they don't dress as well as I do, or maybe I know more about the Bible. Man, the moment that we do that, we're Pharisees and we're gatekeepers, like you said. Mm -hmm. We're we're not um, we're not helping the kingdom of God. We're we're hindering it. That's true. So true. So, all right. Well, um, hope you've enjoyed it so far, and we're about <laughs> to dive in to the um, the actual question that was sent in. The the reason that Josh and I even decided to do this episode was because, like Josh said, a listener chimed in by requesting a topic, and um, broadly stated, it'd be the equality in Christ. But the specific question was in regard to God telling us in Genesis 1:27 that man and woman were both created in God's image 
But then Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven seven says that man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. And our listener admitted that most of her life she had been held down and controlled by men in the church with verses like this, and it damaged her view of God throughout the years because of it. And so, first off, I want to say we're so grateful that she reached out to us because I think that this is probably a topic that a lot of people struggle with, um, but might not have the courage to voice their questions um, in fear of being labeled a troublemaker or something. And before I, I dive right in... I do want to say this, um, because this is something that I look at when I'm, I'm deciding if there's bones or meat in a teaching. And I will say that when it comes to topics like this, when you see people dive into almost a theoretical slash philosophical interpretation of Scripture, um, using tons of Greek words to try to paint a different picture than you thought you read... It's doing one of two things. It's either twisting scripture to make it fit what they want it to say, or it's truly trying to understand the context of God's word. And the last thing Josh and I ever want to do is try to push a point that we believe with scripture by twisting things and making it look in a certain light the way it's not because what we're about to read it really does sound a certain way but it doesn't mean it Mm -hmm. and we're going to get into why that is but uh you got anything before we jump in yeah and i also would advise that we need to be careful on uh those that we choose to allow to implant truth or speak into our lives because in my experience there are people with the greatest of intentions who say not the greatest or the most correct things. And that's typically where I myself have formed some bad doctrine that I've had to overcome with correct thinking and righteous application of the word. And the sad thing is, is that I know that some of the worst doctrine that we're exposed to can be when we're young and when we don't know any better. And so our solution for that has to be asking God for cleansing and clarification in these thoughts or in these verses and to clear out fallacies that don't belong. So honestly, I want to say I'm very proud of this listener for reaching out with such a heavy question and something that it to me, it sounded like in their heart, they were hurt by this subject. Yeah. And it really has done a number on them in, in to a degree. I yes. don't know. No, well said. Is well that said. what is that what you're Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page. Okay. So it's it's important to us guys and we're glad that you reached out listener. So let's get into it. Genesis one twenty seven. <laughs> I think we get to say Genesis one one. <laughs> let's start I'll at the beginning. The light. <laughs> let's, let's, all right, let's go back to the beginning. Paraphrase, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Genesis one twenty seven through twenty eight. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in verse 27, we see that word man. 
And obviously, since God spoke um, this original sentence in American, we know that means male. <laughs> Ro- uh, oh, no, Josh is shaking his head. <laughs> wait, wait. Time out. No. <laughs> that's actually incorrect. Um, that's not right. Uh, when you look at the original language and consider the structure of this sentence, most scholars agree that the word man is speaking of mankind. Mm-hmm. And honestly, even in English, it makes sense that way. Yeah. Um, So God makes it clear in verse 27 that man and woman are the same in the sense that they are made in his image. But the very next verse, he does draw a distinction between them by commanding them to be fruitful and multiply because part of imitating the image of God is creating, which is done by two very different yet the same type of people coming together as one. Well, well, without can you explain getting... that further? No. <laughs> uh, if you like have your... little ears, go ahead and... <laughs> I like uh, your... <laughs> yeah. Do earmuffs for a minute. Okay, now, now this, this idea actually leads us directly, believe it or not, to that next passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 16, where we see that Paul says the following. And yes, I'm going to read that entire thing because we need the context. So, here we go. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaven. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels." However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, or is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is the glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. Um, for crying out loud, what's he talking about here, Josh? <laughs> this is like this is like like Elvish or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to point out some things here. Uh, number one, verse fourteen says that nature itself shows us that man is disgraced by long hair. Um, this is the first indicator that this topic isn't literally talking about the length of hair, nor what it all sounds like it's even Mm -hmm. talking about. Exactly. Um, Male lions naturally have longer hair than female lions. Many male birds will display longer and more vibrant feathers than the female birds. Nature is full of examples where this makes absolutely zero sense. I'm peacocking. I'm peacocking. <laughs> Let me be a... <laughs> yeah, Do it. Say it. Come on. <laughs> Let me be a peacock, Captain. Okay. Yeah, no, but seriously, this is the first key that Paul is touching on something deeper here. 
He's not because it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. if you read it at face value. And and remember, I would call you to remember in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter actually says this about how Paul writes. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So keep in mind that Paul speaks so deeply that we have to really pay attention to understand the points he's making. And nature showing us that the male is disgraced is, is clearly not speaking a literal length of hair and this this whole don't wear a hat in church when you pray and all <laughs> the it, Man, does it go deeper than that? Yeah. And, and Peter lays that out. I love that verse in Second Peter because he's saying, listen, guys. Gird your loins, boys. <laughs> Gird your loins, boys. Yeah, that's good. Because th- there's more to be understood here than than what you're, um, the, the milk of the word. There's meat here, mm-hmm. you know, if that made any sense. Um, so your next question would be, then, then, Steve, what in the world is he talking about with all this hair stuff? And to make a long study short, believe it or not, what Paul is talking about here is homosexuality. Uh which brings us right back on point. Because if you probably got lost in all that, saying we're off topic. We're, we're actually not. Um, Paul says that woman is the glory of man, not because she is lesser than him, but because she is made for him and him to her. Mm-hmm. There's no distinction. It said, you know, man is not um, um, separate from woman, nor is woman separate from man. They are one. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of being one. And when you read the Corinthian letters, you understand that this group, this specific group of believers struggled with some really jacked up stuff, um, which was one of which was incest. And here we see men dressing in the likeness of women in order to change, in order to change the appearance of their gender. That's what Paul is hitting at. One commentator by the name of Philip Payne writes this, Men wearing effeminate hair were deliberately making their hair look like a woman's hair, thus making themselves into the image or likeness of a woman. Paul reminds these men that bearing the image of God obliges them to accept themselves as the men God made them to be. This brings glory to God, whereas effeminate hair brings disgrace. Payne continues, Effeminate hair undermines procreation. Remember that Genesis scripture by blurring the distinction between the sexes and by symbolizing homosexual relations. And to quote one more commentator, um, well, I guess he is, John Piper, the pastor. Uh, he says, I think Paul is saying that nature, that is, the built-in, God-given intrinsic maleness, inclines a man to feel repulsed and shameful by wearing the culturally defined symbols of womanhood. And then Piper, he goes on to further the idea of culturally defined symbols of womanhood and that every culture is different. Um, Scottish wear kilts, which are considered skirts in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen Braveheart, you know William Wallace was no girly man. <laughs> and the point that Paul is making um, is in relation to homosexuality. And I want to point that out because the first thing that I've heard some people say, the minute they start trying to stretch and say, well, that means that everything said about women can be thrown out the window and they can do everything and there's no lines drawn anywhere. And that's another topic. But I've heard them take that directly from women to same-sex marriage. And... Clearly, Paul is talking about same-sex marriage here. It's not right. Um, 
don't take the Bible, like I said, and twist it trying to understand it to fit what you believe, um, because that that's not what we need to do here. And uh, I just I, I wanted to stop and point that out because I've heard people take it directly from women to that. And um, I, I want to point out at this point examples of women's worth, great worth in Scripture. Yeah, uh, Josh, you already you already quoted this one. I'm, I want to say it again. It's Galatians three twenty seven through twenty eight. Uh, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor freed man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, that is talking about our identity as a human being in Christ. Male or female doesn't even matter. Um, all throughout Scripture, we see that a human's position in Christ is universal. Um, there are certain cases where men and women alike are both supposed to submit to certain things. Yes, there are many, but always in love, always with the heart of Christ. Um, like I said, some of that's another topic, mm-hmm. but um, the, the the whole worth thing, the listener that, that chimed in, if you were held down being told that you were lesser than a man, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Yes. Uh, you were created starting in the first book of the Bible alongside man, made for each other to be one as clearly elaborated once you look into it in that Corinthian scripture as well. One in Christ. Yeah. Man and woman. Um, we see Phoebe, Romans 16, was some sort of position of leadership in the church, some sort of position of authority. Um, Acts 18.26, Josh has mentioned in another episode that Priscilla's name was unusually mentioned before the name of her husband, which is very suggestive. That doesn't really happen in Scripture. There's a reason that happened. Um, in Philippians 4, Paul commends two women uh, who I cannot pronounce their names, who are fellow workers in the gospel that have helped Paul himself. Paul really makes a point in a lot of his letters to commend these women, to uplift them, to say, help them with what they need because what they're doing is helping me with the gospel spreading. And what you want to take away from that, the arguments you want to raise with that, that's, you know, for another day. But I'll, I'll say this, um, as as we found in, in that second Peter scripture, Paul talks deep, 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 deep in scripture and almost in riddles sometimes. And he's doing it sometimes because of the context of what those people in that day and age understood. And some like the word slave we discussed and all of that. And, and I just, and my heart goes out to the listener that requested that because that is not God's view of you. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in the Bible that God doesn't condone. Man is supposed to have one wife. We see a lot of heroes of the Bible that had many more than one. God didn't condone it. It happened. Mm-hmm. But you should know that you, in God's eyes, are not necessarily you in other people's eyes, no matter what other people tell you. And I would say, you know, you just mentioned polygamy, where they married multiple wives. Um, I had a f- pastor friend who said... Look at what we're doing today's society. We're we're doing the exact same thing as they did. We're just not having those relationships at the exact same time through divorces. So it's like, hey, I have one husband or one wife, divorce them, get married again, divorce them, you know? Yeah. 
Which is kind of the exact thing Jesus points out in committing adultery in your heart just by looking at another yeah. woman. He he takes it to the extent of, yeah, the technicalities of the law, but if your heart's in it, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. I found this extremely well-written article about, is the Bible sexist? Is the Bible geared towards men or is it inclusive? Um, was God anti-feminist, you know, and uh, it's really well written. I'm not going to read all of it, but it pointed out a lot of the women that you were talking about. Uh, it, it also mentioned about Jesus is that his disciples included several women, which was a practice that was unheard of by most of the rabbis of his day, actually of all the rabbis of his day. Not only that, he encouraged their discipleship by portraying it as something more needful than domestic service. And his first recorded explicit disclosure of his own identity as the true Messiah was made to the Samaritan woman at the well. Oh, wow. And so he treated women with utmost dignity, even women who might be otherwise regarded as outcasts. He blessed their children. He raised their dead. He forgave their sin. And he restored their virtue and honor. And uh, he exalted the position of womanhood itself. God is not a God of, of chauvinism. He's not a God that says men are first. Um, though I've heard some of these verses get taken out of context, you know, your wife is the weaker vessel. It's not meant to say that she's weak. What it's meant to say is that our body structures are different and that a lot of times, you know, the, the jar of pickles gets opened by you because God made you a bigger person or, you know, you can reach the things on the top shelf, but that doesn't mean you treat her any less. Yeah. In fact, um, there's a verse that says that she receives a higher honor. So there's just so many and I, we could go on and on and on. And, and I, I think for me, I've been in a church that has taught similarly in the past, even just by visiting and it breaks my heart to hear that anyone would represent the pages of the Bible like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, um, and like I said, there's certain things they do. They sound a certain way. Mm-hmm. But if you're honest with, with God and you come before him and say, God, show me. Show me what your word says without trying to twist it into what I want it to say. And you'll find yourself that God loves you, man, woman, whether you're whatever race you are, any of that. All of those constructs that we make as people mm-hmm. are thrown out the window in God's eyes. Yes. Um, are there things we abide by in scripture that we, some of it we don't understand, we just obey? Yeah. There are some of that. But in this case, especially with with the listener that chimed in, we, we want you to know God sees you in a much different light than you've been shown in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with you, Josh, and um, we hope that that helped you yes. in understanding your identity in Christ. And um, I know that I have um, a scripture that I want to end with. Uh, is there any other final remarks you want to throw out there, Josh? I just have this quote that I found that I'd like to share, and then I think we should end on your passage. So uh, let me say this. Christian identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in terms of what God does in us and the relationship he creates with us and the destiny he appoints for us. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. Let me say that last sentence again. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. That's why we're in Christ. 
Yeah, that is a fantastic quote. Yeah, I love that. Who was that? I don't know. <laughs> well, they were wise. Uh, I'm going to say unknown. It's an ancient Chinese proverb. Yeah. Who is this unknown guy? He's very smart. Oh goodness, that's great. That was yeah, that was great. So I want to I want to end listeners with uh, Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just wanted to read that scripture because it, it puts such a fire in my soul knowing that that's the kind of God that I serve and that's the kind of God that chases after me. And even in those times where um, where even 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20 talks about servants having to be submissive to the masters that are even unjust to them, how we can still have freedom in knowing that our true master, the one who we're going to see for eternity when we close our eyes, that's the one that we serve. And that's the one we find our joy in, even when we're in the midst of all of this crookedness and unjustness and everything that we go through in this world, uh, no matter what everyone else tells us, we trust in who he says our identity is, and it's in his son, Jesus Christ. So um, that's that's what we want to leave you with, mm-hmm. guys, um, that it's in him. Our identity is in Christ. And, man, no, nothing more can be said. Hidden in Christ. Yes. Hidden almost like nobody can find it and steal it. I mean, he's exactly. like, he's got it like a linebacker all like, oh, you know. Yeah. And as we've quoted so many times that John uh, 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No. Yeah. God's not saying take the pebble and like holding us out there. He's He's got us. Like you said, hidden in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Better, my better even than my Heisman analogy just now. So, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's identification. That's identity in Christ. Yeah, we we really hope that that did something for you guys. And and like we always say, this this is stuff God put on our heart. Um, and it's somewhat something that God put on someone else's heart that reached out. Yeah. So we we encourage you if if God's putting something on your heart, um, reach out with that, and maybe we can start a discussion in it. Yes. And it's a high honor to be able to speak into anything that you're requesting us to talk about. So thank you. And keep those requests as they've trickled in coming, because uh, we do want to answer questions and we do want to uh, take on the research that maybe, you know, you're going, well, I don't know what this means or I don't know where this came from. And we'd love to be able to speak into your lives about that. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of topics these days that people don't like to talk about because of, um, you know, offending and all of that stuff. 
if it's an issue in your heart, let's talk about it. Yeah, and we don't want to offend, but we do want to set it straight. And we yeah. want to give a biblical view on what God says and yeah. not just what we would say. Because sometimes God's word offends. It does. It does. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we are so grateful for you guys. Um, and, and not just topics. you got prayer requests. Please send them in. Yes. We, we want to, you know, be in the body of Christ. Um, it doesn't look like it did in the apostles' days. We've got we've got so much more we can reach out to other people, other Christians. We're not just airways. We meet Josh and I are souls on the other side of the microphone who deeply care about other brothers and sisters in Christ. So please send um, any prayer requests you have. We care about you. Yeah, and if the things that are going on right now in this world have really taken a toll on you and we can help or we can come and support you in prayer, please allow us the honor of doing that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, guys, as we typically do, if, if this has a, a been of benefit to you or uh, someone you know, it would help us out a lot if you could um, give us a rating, review, even a comment or social media, share us with your friends and family. That helps push the Snakebird podcast <laughs> out there. Uh, we would deeply appreciate that if you could find the time. Yeah. And if you're wanting to submit a prayer request or a topic request or a profile, send us an email at connect at basnakebird.com or find us on Facebook. It's just Snakebird and then send us a, a direct message and we will get back to you as soon as possible. Absolutely, guys. So remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to identify in Christ. And be a snake bird. <laughs>